All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Great Lakes Permaculture Design Collaborative podcast. This collaborative formed in 2016 to bring together three regional permaculturists <laughs> to innovate permaculture practices in design and education. My name is William Faith, and I'm here with Milton Dixon and Rhonda Baird. This week, we'll be talking about access to land in the city. So before we get into our topic for today, we wanted to check for a few minutes in with each other and see what's going on in our personal practices. So let's start with Milton. Oh, uh, I, I just uh, visited a, a local cooperative. Um, they have three, 300 acres north of Kalamazoo, and they had a maple syrup weekend. And so my family went and um, stayed in a cabin, and, and it, it was it was pretty awesome. But, yeah. How about you, William? Hey, what what, uh, what have you been doing? Uh, right now, it's all things microgreens. Um, so I've got uh, some purple kohlrabi, uh, some wasabi mustard, uh, triton radish, and um, and popcorn in right now. And so that's what I'm uh, trialing at the moment. Um, this is third day germination. So I'm going down as soon as we finish this and see what's popped up and uh, taking it from there. So that's me for the moment. Exciting. Rhonda? Yeah. Yeah. I uh, just this morning, I set up uh, a new vermicomposting system, um, which is an out. It's an outdoor system. So excited about that. It seems like hopefully the weather is good enough for that. And uh, yeah, seed starting and seeing what is emerging in the garden. It's already starting to happen. So that's me. Excellent. All right, so as we're talking about access to land in the city, our first question, we have two questions that we're gonna put before the group today. And the first one that we kind of want to do a round on and see what comes, up, what comes up for us is, firstly, what are barriers to access to land in the city? What observable barriers have you experienced or, or have you noted? And uh, so let's reverse order and start with Rhonda and uh, then we'll go to Milton. Sure, so we have a lot of I can throw out a lot of things. I'm sure that Milton and William will have more to add. I think, first of all, is um, can people afford land, you know, property, a home, a residence with land on it, uh, around it? And then, you know, that's the big one. Big one. Um, and then I think a second piece of that is about how stable do people feel in that space, especially if they're renting? Are they moving around a lot? That's another uh, issue I see a lot with, especially people in urban environments. Um, yeah, check. Well, I, I I think we have to to mention the man. The man, <laughs> you know, that that keep, keep kicking me out of the garden. Uh, you know, dividing up the land in, into arbitrary plots and assigning ownership to them. Um, I mean, it, it's it's kind of a problem. You know, ownership of land. It might be equivalent to slavery. I don't know. That's that. That might be getting a little big, but uh, um, yeah. So so uh, if you you know if you're in the city, um, if you have these things in your head that this is not this is what I have to do, you know the the limits the limits are largely self-imposed. I guess is is my point. Um, and and. Um, if you can break your mental models, just even just a little bit, uh, you, there's actually a lot going on in the city. Um, although I would also say that, uh, especially in the city, pollution is probably the other um, 
exclusionary force. Uh, the, the law and pollution. So, How about you, William? Anything? Uh... Well, yeah, as the you know, sort of card-carrying anarchist of the bunch, I come from the all-property <coughs> theft school. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, working within immediate practical uh, terminology, I think that yeah. what, we're, what we're dealing with here is uh, beyond just land tenure is also just the theft of the commons and the, the that we really don't have easy access to land it requires so much of us and it's so difficult to manifest that it's a barrier for i think most people um, economically it's very difficult to to grasp to get access to and then even harder to hold on to in many cases as Rhonda was kind of pointing out uh, so i mean finances are first that's the main barrier that i think uh, most people encounter, and uh, it's yeah, it boils down to capital at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so, running on from that, um, our next question is: What solutions have we encountered? What uh, what particular uh, functional approaches uh, have we come across that we think are worth noting and uh, elaborating on? And uh, so, let's reverse order on this one and go Milton Ronda. Uh, well, as per my answer to the first question, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, guerrilla gardening, um, you know, especially if it's if it's if it's neglected already. I don't think uh, you're going to you're going to get any pushback from anyone. Um, but that, that's a whole, you know, that's a whole world there to to uh, to to delve into. Um I uh, did live in Chicago. You know, I live I live now in Ann Arbor. But uh, when I was in Chicago, community gardens were it's just a great place to get access to land. And even now here in Ann Arbor, you know, we get lots of land, but still very little access to it. It's still it's still similar kinds of excuse me kinds of things. Um, so so I think that uh, that's one way. And, and, and another way, you know, um, is just through relationships. Um, you know, I've, I've essentially established a relationship with uh, an organization that has 64 acres that they just, they don't use all of it. Uh, and so, you know, it wasn't like, hey, I'll do this for you. That would, they then never would have flown. But I just started to be involved and, and started to, uh, I mean, you know, work work with them and, and, and say, hey, you know, I have some ability here. And um, at first they, they I kind of, they offered me a garden plot. And then, you know, now I'm kind of managing the 64 acres um, for the organization. And, and that's that's something that uh, to, to explore uh, wherever you are. You know, I happen to be in Ann Arbor. There's a little bit more acreage around, right? But, but even just, you know, neighbors in the city down the street, someone has land and, and they just have kind of a, have trouble mowing their lawn. You know, you really, you really, um, if you start to build that relationship and you're, they know what your abilities are, I think that can make a huge difference. So, um, passing, passing it on, pass the baton. Passing it on. Yeah. So I think, uh, besides just to maybe reiterate or, um, build on some of that, just strengthening collaborative ties with your neighbors. Um, you can, of course, 
rent from community gardens, right? Um, and you can look for the commons land. So besides gardening and, and productive planting and tending and cultivation, um, another approach to accessing land and permaculture would be to consider learning to skillfully forage and harvest from existing public lands um, appropriately you know, find out what you're supposed to be doing, what you're not supposed to be doing, what you can get, you, you kind of do. Um, but that's a, a great way to access land in the city and get some benefit. Um, and it builds that connection with the landscape, with community, because people see you there. Um, you know, that kind of thing is important. It helps people see their landscapes anew. And I think that's the other thing about what I've seen with, with working with neighbors who have land is that they need to help like maybe they have a garden plot that they used to use but they don't anymore so they give you access to that but also it's just helping people understand that the the lawn and the you know um, boxwood you know shrubs that are perfectly trimmed is not necessarily a helpful aesthetic when we're going with permaculture so we want to transform the understanding of the aesthetics and to create beautiful gardens as well um full of life and, and uh, you know, color and food and scent and all the things that are wonderful about productive spaces. I think the another piece is to look at the um, commercial spaces. You know, churches have a lot of land typically in urban environments. Um, retreat centers, schools, school gardening is very popular, but they, but school gardens have a problem in that most schools are in session from the fall, winter through spring. And in the summer, it's really hard for teachers to have, have effective gardens because the, the students are gone for the summer. So there's, there's an opportunity to pair up. And then the, the last thing I wanted to share about this is that if, uh, is that one of the, my favorite inspired inspiring concepts came out of uh, what was called a grain collective or what i call a grain collective um we published this article in permaculture design several years ago maybe a decade ago um where people who didn't have land in the city very much land they all agreed to grow some grain on land that they had access to and then they put pooled their resources at the end of the season and distributed it based on effort and you know, inputs and other kinds of capital than just financial capital. So I thought that was really brilliant. I think there's a lot of room for that. So those are some thoughts I have. What about you, William? What do you want to add to it? Uh, loaded topic, um, but tailing in on some of what Rhonda was saying, uh, yeah, growers collectives are becoming even more of a thing now. Uh, a lot of people are, uh, uh, there's a lot more emotion around that idea. And then um, another, another time-honored tradition is squatting. Um, if there's the land is there and no one's using it, take it, do something with it, you know, occupy it. Um, and that, uh, has varying degrees of, uh, popularity or lack thereof, depending on the circumstances, but, but that's one as well. Um, however, when we're talking about access to land in, in urban centers, um, again, this is something of a passion of mine, so I can ramble on about this endlessly, but I would invite you both to jump in on some of these things as I mentioned them because each one of them could be a separate podcast unto itself. But just to try to give a quick overview of some of this stuff, I think the your sort of entry level approach 
is forming a tenant organization um, and petitioning your landlord for changes that you want to see in a building. Um, there's always that power of collective bargaining that you can bring to bear when something's wrong with your building, some things are not getting addressed. Just knowing your neighbors, you're using community as a hedge. That's the stuff that really changes. That's There's so much power in that. And that's, right now, I think we're used to being compartmentalized literally and figuratively in you know, apartments and boxes. And so when we come together and, and say something, it's a lot more, it, it's going to command a lot more attention from a landlord if every person in the building is saying, hey, we need you know, to replace the heat or we need to shore up, you know, we've got drafty walls, you know, air coming through in the winter. Um, it's a lot easier to get changes done when you, when you use that collective power. The next step, and I think one of the ones that has the most utility in the city are community land trusts. And that's something that, again, it devel- it's based on community power. It's based on everyone coming together to do it. But you can have a nonprofit that owns land you know, and that makes that land accessible for development. And then you can give 99-year leases to the people that live there. And that's with no down payment. The down payment is almost always the main barrier for uh, people with low income or of modest income owning land, uh, owning a place. And so by flipping the script on that, having the community come in, you know, it saves that land from being sold for speculative value. It keeps it you know, at, a, at a low income. It's indexed to a different rate than, you know, of um, property value than you. It than keeps it the normal. At, at, um, and so it just keeps it accessible it keeps it as uh you know affordable housing and again it's getting away from that concept of land as a you know a profit-based investment to a, a social good um as it used to be and uh building off of that housing cooperatives i'm a huge fan of it's kind of what i'm involved in doing here in chicago with uh with my group and community and uh that's uh we're looking at a limited equity housing co-op which functions on somewhat similar ideas it's just compartmentalized into a building um but so we're working on that that's another uh simpler approach uh that i think for intentional community in the city makes a lot of sense um and then as we step up to a slightly more lofty uh version of that there's the eco village and the co-housing models that i'm also a huge fan of um when i think of eco villages in urban centers i generally tend to refer back to la eco village which is there's a link in the show notes, so uh, you can read more about them there. But uh, it's basically a group of people who bought an apartment building and then started chunking out from there and uh, purchasing the adjacent buildings and uh, and making keeping these things, uh, keeping these places affordable and available. Uh, they didn't throw out any of the tenants that were there, uh, you know, when they came in. So it wasn't a hostile takeover. They integrated into the landscape and and it was a gentle, uh, a gentle expansion. Um, and they've really, really done something great there. They host workshops. They, it's a business incubator. There's a great sense of community there. Um, and it's uh, in Koreatown in downtown LA. It's, they've done some community repair in one of the intersections outside. They've done a lot of really, really neat stuff with that. So that's one way that I think eco-villages can really work well in the city. It's a good model for that. Uh, the co-housing model, which is, you know, this slightly different from the eco-village model in that co-housing is generally considered to be more social based, whereas eco-villages are, are considered to be a little bit more ecologically based. There's derivations of both. So there's different versions of each. 
And then um, finally, for me, the one that expands to neighborhood scale that I think also has a lot of a lot of utility are transition initiatives, also known as transition towns. Um, they've gone from strength to strength in Europe. They've definitely had uh, more uh, more experience, more investment there. And uh, and there are various initiatives here in the states, um, but they there's I'd be lying if I said that they were all successful. Uh, a lot of them have kind of run up on hard times and. Some have shut down, some have transformed, uh, some are just kind of have these ghost ship websites that are still running that no one's taking care of. But, uh, but at the same time, I have also visited a few initiatives that are actually vibrant and really, and really functional. Um, and that's working at neighborhood scale. In the case of something, a place like Chicago, where I currently live, we have you know, transition Chicago would be a very, very tall order, very big ask. However, we have 77 neighborhoods in Chicago. So working at that scale makes a lot more sense and is a lot more manageable. Um, so again, there's more links down there. So uh, feel free to check them out. And uh, so far, no one said anything. So uh, <laughs> let's do a quick round to see if anyone wants to uh, jump in with any additional thoughts you, on that. And let's go, uh, Rhonda. Oh. Milton? Okay. <laughs> you lost it, Rhonda, Milton, sorry. Then, no, I said Milton, then Rhonda. Oh, oh, uh, I mean, so, the, so there's this whole thing that I, I was thinking about it, you know, access to land. Do you, do you go to your local park? Do you walk around your neighborhood? Who cares if you, you know, like, oh, I, I live in an apartment and I don't have access to land. Well, if you never go to the local park, if you never walk around your neighborhood, if you're never like actually in the space. You know what's what's going on? What's is is the problem that you don't have the land, or that you just you don't access it, and and it's a it's kind of an internal problem, right? And because there's all these options, William William was saying, you know, it's all sorts of different ways to do this. That I mean, the the gorilla gardening that I pointed out, um, I can't even remember what Rhonda uh, said, but you know she says some good stuff too, right? And and uh, yeah, I, I really, I really think it's a, it's a, it's a mental thing, you know, and and that that if you're, if if you are resigned to not have access to land, then you won't, and if you want access to land, then you need to start opening your eyes and looking around and seeing what options are out there for you because they exist. They're there, and and the land is out there, right? Even even if it's along the sidewalk that you walk on the way to the train or you know whatever it is, it's there, and you just you just need to start looking for it. Pass the baton to Rhonda. Yeah, yeah. I just I I really like uh, thinking about it. it is a process of of um, determining how you're going to relate to the land that mental state. Um, I think what was coming up for me, just not to drag this on too long, and we start talking about transition U.S. and, uh, and or transition in initiatives, um, there are a lot of resources, and this is, I think, one of those places where permaculture and other movements and other lines of thinking can really converge. So, you know, Gar Alperowitz um, and the Next System Project and Shareable Cities with Neil Gorenflow. Like, I think there's a place for convergence, potentially even with like the Green New Deal stuff that's being talked about that to see some places 
uh, some things emerge. And this is one of the hot topics. This is one of the conversations people need to be having um, because it's so timely right now. So great. Thank, thanks for giving me an, a minute to circle around on that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think for me, the, just to, to tie it all up, the, all, of the, all of the solutions is, as at least I see it, and please feel free to chime in on this, um, all do, are utterly dependent on community. They are dependent on working with each other to make them functional. And we're in a society and in a time where everything is very individualistic. We think of owning land, owning a house, and having that, having your name on it. And uh, I think that's sort of one of the brass rings, the measures of success that we're acclimated to. I, I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to jump in here and even say that it goes beyond community of people, community of human beings, homo sapiens, but community uh, with the trees and community with the people that, that, that live in the trees, right? The squirrels that are up there. The, I mean, you know, maybe you don't like it, but the rats that are out there, you know, that, that we're, we're all a community. And, and the more that, that we can remember that, I think the, the, stronger, the stronger position we have to, to kind of interact with all of it and to have that chance to practice our permaculture. Right? That's what we're talking about. Indeed, very humbling and essential to review. I agree. Um, but um, in terms of the limits that I think we run into when we're trying to do this, it's largely the limits of one person trying to do it. When we team up with others and come together to do it, yeah. the impossible becomes possible. And uh, so that is me. Did anyone want to add anything before we go to checkout? Let's let's rock it because you know, you know we, we we were hoping to keep this short today. Uh, we'll see right. we'll see what we actually came came up with. But you know uh, why don't I? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take the, the reins. I'm gonna take them away, William. Uh, Please. Thanks for hanging out with us at GLPDC podcast. Uh, you know we're really excited to be to be doing this and sharing our permaculture, sharing our lives essentially, and our cats with with you. Um, you know, check out uh, check out our website at glpdc.info. Uh, our upcoming courses. You know, we've got an urban permaculture uh, workshop a day long uh, in Chicago. That's going to be it's going to be it's going to be bumping. Where we'll talk more about this. That's right. This uh, this and some other topics. You know, and 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 really work with the people that come to st start the cultivation of their own permaculture. So, mm -hmm. thanks, friends. Thanks, everybody.